Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 3rd of May, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in Bill's story, and we are on page 8, the third paragraph that begins near the end of that bleak November. And today's readers are the 12 steps, Marge, 12 traditions, Lisa, and then Paula, Kim, Sharon, and Hoodie. The share code for yesterday, Thursday, the May 2nd, was 4391. 4391. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Star one to unmute, Marge. Monica, this is Melanie. I can do that. Thank you. Yeah, I had a problem with my phone. I'm sorry. Good morning. This is Marge from Massachusetts, compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, through prayer and meditation, to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
practice these principles in all our affairs. Yeah. Thank you, Marge. And now I will ask Lisa to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Lisa from South Jersey. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press <coughs> and films. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, and we are in the chapter of Bill's story. 
and we are on page 8, the third paragraph that begins near the end of that bleak November. And I will ask Paula to, to begin reading, please. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I did hide a full bottle of gin near the head of the bed. I would need it before daylight. Well, strange that this is bleak November, but here we have beautiful May. And, uh, you know, we start seeing the, the flowers poking through. But before they poke through, we have the winter. And here he begins with, and I think that was a, a month, the, the, the end of November, yeah, the trees, the leaves, all the beautiful leaves, well, they've all fallen to the ground. And, and a very apt description. And this is where his life was. But he sat drinking in my kitchen with a certain satisfaction. This is it. Not what's ahead, not what was behind. His satisfaction was in, he's thinking, he goes, there was enough gin concealed, hid, hid about the house. How many times we'd wake up and we say, wow, what, well, I'll, I'll hide this here. I don't want anybody to know, like nobody knew. To carry me through the night. There's no mention of want here. To carry him through. He had to be carried through. He couldn't do it on his own. And look at in the next day. And then he's, I wondered whether I did hide a full bottle of gin. Now, wow, this man, like, near the head of the bed. Now, this is the head of the bed that him, him and his wife slept on. He's going to hide it there. Much as they didn't want her to discover it, he had to have it. Now the terminology changes completely. I would need it before daylight. The night where our body rests. He knew he couldn't rest. There was no resting. But that part, I would need it before the daylight, before the breaking of day. Even then, always chasing you. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Sheila. May I share? Go ahead, Sheila. Good morning. This is Sheila, compulsive overeater from New York. I identify with this. Um, I love the description of the flowers and and the nice weather. Because when it's nice weather, I'm up and about and I'm not isolating in. And in the winter true those those can be some of the times when I guess the the comfort eating is most welcome. you know I can identify with him as he describes how he has his his gin bottles around the house, and for me, it's like I've just gone to the market, I've just gone shopping, and I've brought all my favorite things in, and I'm gonna watch a movie and I'm gonna isolate, and all's gonna be well. you know, I can identify with that, although we know that that is very short lived. Um, but I just wanted to check in and claim my seat and say my identification with how he's describing having gin is pretty much how I can do in the winter months, isolate myself in, and I've gotten all my whatever in there. But um, that doesn't comfort me. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. Would anyone else like to comment? 
this is Meg. May I share? Go ahead, Meg. Hi, this is Meg, grateful, recovered, compulsive eater in Vermont. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected. Then further down in that paragraph, I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of the bed. In this paragraph, I really see how alcohol is completely consuming Bill's thoughts, just like food was completely consuming my thoughts late in my disease. I was constantly thinking about how I was going to get my next fix, about the logistics of it. You know, like uh, if I was driving home, I was thinking about how I could take this route in order to get to the gas station, and then maybe that will swing me by this, uh, you know, convenience store that I'll stop at on the way down. And uh, and then, you know, maybe I'll also stop at the grocery store just in case, just in case, get myself a gallon of ice cream and a box of Pop-Tarts so that when I get home, I will make sh- be, I'll know that I'll still have a fix and I won't be wanting. And this, and this uh, satisfaction, reflecting on that, having come home from that, having planned it and then come home from it you sat I satisfied I was so satisfied in in my knowledge that I had done a good job that I had covered all my bases but this is no way to live it really isn't it's no way to live constantly thinking about the future constantly thinking about the past and then when you're actually eating when you're actually eating you're not thinking about anything. You're not enjoying it. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. And this is Monica, compulsive, this is- covered compulsive overeater here. Um, I just wanted to uh, say, and I think someone else was already saying, you know, here in this paragraph, um, Bill has absolutely no control here. The disease has got him totally. Totally. It is controlling. It is running the show. It has his mind. That's all he can think about. Is this alcohol? Does he have enough? Where is he going to get it? Can he hide it here? Can he hide it there? And it's controlling his body. He has to have it. He has to try to settle his body down during the night with this alcohol. Wow. Is this hell or what? Would anyone else like to comment? Yes, this is Lisa from South Jersey. Go ahead, Lisa. Good morning again, everyone. Um, Wow, this paragraph is, I I had to chime in because I had a bleak November um, this past. And, you know, it's just amazing, some of the parallels. But um, I am just reminded by the shares um, before me of the total enslavement that this disease can have upon us and that certainly had me. Um, I'm reminded of uh, in that November when I was eating so much. I mean, going through, uh, <laughs> as someone says, cellophane boxes and whatever it is. But <laughs> but I was going through that, and, and it was embarrassing for my other to my other family members, 
to see me like this because they know I have this disease. They've been with me for 17 years, back and forth, back and forth. So I found that I could get some kind of sweet that I could hide. And I would be up, like, after everybody went to bed, eating candy, which I never really ate before, but this is how sick I got in this disease. This is how this can affect your body. I had to have it. I had to have it. And I would stay up in the middle of the night, and then I would come and put it in my nightstand because I knew when I woke up to go to the bathroom, I was going to have to eat some more again. And it was beyond hell. It was beyond hell. And I would need it before daylight, and I did. I almost died. But thank God, thank God, I hung around for the miracle. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Lisa. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, would you read that, please? Thanks, Monica. My musings were interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wonder how he had escaped. Of course we would have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was a time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So where is Bill right now? You know, we talked about him picking up that insidious first drink on our Mistress Day, which is now called Veterans Day. And at the end of the bleak November, he's sitting there when he gets this phone call. So this is about three weeks, three weeks of constant drinking, constant drinking. He can barely get a, a coherent thought together. And he gets this phone call from his friend, and he's going to meet Eddie. And Eddie was supposed to have been committed for alcoholic insanity. Eddie and Bill were, were drinking buddies from years past. You know, Eddie was the person that Bill said, you know what, if I get as bad as Eddie, then I'll stop drinking. He was the one he used as a, as a line. I mean, I don't know if you guys have people like that, but I always thought, well, if I get as bad as Sally, maybe I'll do something. Maybe if I get as fat as Jane, I'll do something. Because I kept myself around people that drank and ate worse than me so I could justify my own eating. I had those eating buddies that helped me think that what I was doing was normal, and that's who Ebby was to Bill. You know, I remember in college, which was when I gained my most weight, I got to the point that if I went into the room and I was the biggest one there, I would leave the room. And the fact was, in my dorm, I couldn't go in a lot of rooms because I was getting so big. So I sought out those people who ate like I did, and that's who Evie was for him. So when he said he's sober, he was amazed. Wait a minute. How could Evie get sober if I'm sitting here since, since or this is to the end of bleak November, and I can't get out of this? And I love this. I wondered how he had escaped. 
escape. Not how he got sober, not how he stayed on his diet, escape. Because right now he is in that quicksand. He cannot get out. Alcohol is his master. That boomerang has now cut into rivets. So it's not a matter of getting back on track. Getting back on track, finding that perfect diet, finding that perfect self-help book. He is done. He is drowning. He is looking for any lifesaver that someone, life raft that someone's going to send to him. He doesn't care what color it is. He doesn't care what shape it comes in. He wants to know how can I escape. But once again, he's like he's confused. But, he's like, but maybe, maybe, even though I want to escape. Maybe at least I can recapture those people in my life that I think, okay, well, maybe if I get together with so-and-so and I can go to that buffet or I can go to that restaurant, I can recapture that day. I can recapture that day when I would go to a birthday party as a child and it was just fun to have cake because I can't have fun anymore. But maybe if I get together with this old chum, I can recapture the youth. And heck with the fact he's sober and heck with the fact that he's trying to escape I need to feel normal again. And maybe, maybe with this person I can feel normal. That very thing and oasis. Drinkers are like that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie. Go ahead, Katie. Well, the insanity of this is just so, and I I think what jumps out at me the most is the um, self-centeredness, you know, just looking for someone to to drink with so he he won't feel so bad about himself and, you know, unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. And, you know, that's what... um, what we do and at the end is looking for that um, bite that made me feel good, you know. It's, but that is long since gone for, for Bill and it was long gone for me. I don't even remember um, what the food tasted like. I don't remember any semblance of just, you know, casual eating in the end. It's just, um, you know, it's just survival so that I won't feel the pain of of my life. And this is, you know, the paragraph before, um, he's worried about, you know, hiding liquor all over the house so that he can um, keep his, his uh, binge going. And you know, that's hardly um, going out for cocktails with friends and socializing. There's nothing social about his drinking. There's nothing social and fun and um, society and just all those things that he had before. All of that is gone. And, you know, as Kim was saying, looking for someone who, you know, I'm not quite as bad as. Well, when she said that, I remembered you know, this person, I used to go to OA meetings um, when I was about 21 or 22, and there was this woman who, in telling her story, would talk about her last, you know, months of binging. And I would sit there thinking, oh, my God, I'm not like that. Well, five years later, I was. 
five years later, that's exactly how I was, you know, going from place to place, um, you know, eating all the way, eating the entire day and then going out for dinner and acting like I hadn't eaten and just the insanity, it, it doesn't get better. That's what I'm trying to say. It does not get better. It only gets worse. And, you know, I'm anxious to read um, the rest of his story because there is a solution. And, you know, I think about Ebby and he he uh, carried that message to Bill, but he did not he did not make it. And you know, I um, am just so grateful that he did carry the message to Bill. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Margaret, go Leia. ahead, Margaret. Margaret, and then Leah. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, morning vision for you. Um, I, the sentence that breaks out to me is he was sober. I wondered how he had escaped. Even though he's in his depths of his despair of drinking, his mind is, to me, the whole Bill story is all about his mind shifting and new ideas. And he talks a lot about that as we go forward. But here was, to me, the very, very beginning. I wondered how he had escaped. And that was a new idea for Bill, that there was even, you know, a possibility. Even the fact that that thought went through his mind, you know, just for a minute, even the fact that he went back into his self-centeredness of how he could drink with him or whatever, there was the beginning of the open door that he wondered how he had escaped. And that was for me because I knew I wanted to escape. I absolutely knew I had to escape because I saw in myself and in family members, so many people that were just trapped, trapped. I knew, I knew we were trapped. So I just love this paragraph, and I love this sentence because the light is beginning to shine ever so small in Bill's mind, and, and thank God he is in such a bad shape that he's willing to eventually have new ideas. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Margaret. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. Musing means thinking. You know, he is preoccupied um, with drinking. You know, his whole his whole thinking and his activities revolve around his use of alcohol. He's planning his day around his drinking. He's daydreaming about when he'll be free to drink and, you know, where he should keep his supplies. And he's structuring his whole life, his whole activity, um, his whole activities of his day around the consumption of alcohol and being anesthetized you know, numbing himself from life. I mean, that that is the status he's in right now. Uh, the cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. It goes on to say, unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. Uh, you know, Ebby is sober here. Ebby has a very colorful past. He knows that. Uh, Ebby's sober but all Bill can think about, he doesn't care that uh, finally Ebby has pulled together some sobriety. All Bill talk, cares about right here, and he's admitted, admitting to this, unmindful of his welfare, of Ebby's welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. 
Bill doesn't care that Ebby is sober and having a few sober breaths, um, it, you know, perhaps for the first time in a, in a long, long time. Uh, his mindset is that of an alcoholic. His mindset is me, myself, and I. How can I get comfortable? How can I find relief and be able to recapture that which I thought was wonderful? I mean, Bill, uh, you know, is is in the quicksand here, um, you know, riddled with dis- discontentment, riddled with restlessness and irritability, um, and he thinks that drinking and recapturing the spirit of other days is going to help quell, you know, the resentments, quell the guilt, quell the self-hate, quell the, uh, you know, any negativity that's going on between his ears but of course at this stage of of addiction at this stage of alcoholism uh you know more drinking only means uh a new meaning of guilt a new meaning of remorse and and uh you know fear there there is no recapturing but that's the song that we sing that's the song that bill sings you know it's i'm going to be able to recapture that which i once had and I'm going to pursue that, and I might pursue it to my death. And I know it doesn't work. Bill knows it doesn't work. He knows it's causing him trouble. He, you know, his wife is going out to work. He's, he's here by himself, withdrawn from society. His life is a mess. But that's the song that Bill sings, the recapturing the spirit of other days. That's the song that a compulsive overeater sings. Sooner or later, I'll learn how to recapture the past. I'll learn how to recapture that feeling of exhilaration during a binge. And I might have to change jobs, and I might have to change towns and cities, but I'm going to recapture the past. And it goes on to say, his coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of fertility. The very thing, an oasis. What's an oasis? An oasis is a refuge. It's something that provides a refuge. That's what drink did for Bill. Drink provided a refuge. It was an escape. It was an ability, even for a brief period of time, to get comfortable. But that's where the faulty dependency is. The faulty dependency is that Bill has trust, reliance, and dependency on a substance, on drink to provide comfort. What the program of recovery does is transfer that dependency and that trust and reliance from a substance, from, a, from the contents of a bag and a box, to something that's immeasurable and indestructible, and that is in a relationship with power greater than ourselves. But he's going to try this out a, few, <laughs> a little bit longer. Let's try uh, reliving the past and see how that works. Okay, and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah. Let's move on to the next. Sharon, would you read, please? This is Miriam. I want to share. Oh, Can go ahead, Miriam. Before you move. Um, Hi, this let... is Miriam, a compulsive overeater from Jerusalem, Israel. By reading this chapter, I was thinking to myself that really God can do things that we cannot do because Bill didn't know yet about his connection to God, but God decided to send him Abby. And through Abby, he helped him. And it happened to me too. I was sitting in my in my in Jerusalem, and I was looking so badly for a recovered sponsor because I was so many years in a way, and nothing worked. 
and she came from far away overseas into my house. God sent her, and she saved my life. So I think it, I, I think somebody said, I think Rosemary said one once, I don't understand how God works, but he understands how he works, and with that I test. Thank you, Miriam. Sharon, would you please go ahead? Star one, Sharon, please. Good morning, this is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive Monica, and thank you to all of us. The door opened, and he stood there, fresh-skinned, and there was something about his eyes. Sharon, you're breaking up. Oh. Okay, let's see. That's better. Okay, this better right now? Yes. Let me know if that happens again, and I will have to pass. I am actually in Memphis, and sometimes, usually the mornings are good for my phone, but if it doesn't (laughs) work, I will pass. Okay. Okay, so here we have Eddie, Ebby, standing at the door, and Bill is surprised looking at him. He was expecting the old alcoholic to be there, and yet here is this fella looking all fresh-skinned and glowing, and there's something about his eyes that looks different. And uh, he's wondering what has happened. He doesn't necessarily want what Evie has yet, but he's wondering what has happened. I this paragraph is very deep to me because it really reminds me of my own situation when I was uh, in my in the throes of disease and unable to claw my way out no matter what and no matter how much I wanted I was in the rooms I was doing program but I uh, could not get recovered, even though I had been in the rooms for almost 10 years. I was at the worst place than when I had come in. And I couldn't get out. And over that time, I had gotten enough recovery to get married and have children. I had young children, one eight months old and one just a little over two. And I was eating like a crazy The food was was controlling everything. I was so bad off that my mother-in-law had to come over, and she was in her late 70s. She had to come over and help me. And I was in the bed, and I remember so clearly thinking about those Oreo cookies in the kitchen, knowing that my mother-in-law was in the kitchen, not even thinking about where my children were, but my mind was on the Oreo cookies, and how I could get to them. I could not rest as long as there were Oreo cookies in the house. And my sponsor, my OA sponsor, called me over and over again and told me about these women and what she that were getting recovered. And she said, Sharon, if you go to that meeting, I know you'll get recovered because I know these women, they're getting recovered there's something about their eyes. There's something about their eyes. 
because at that time, it was early in their recovery, you couldn't see the physical recovery yet, but there was something about their eyes. The eyes had changed. You could see in their eyes. There was a glow. There was an optimism. There was a healthiness in their eyes. And that means to me that my soul, there was something in their soul. There was that hope inside of them that had changed. It says to me that it isn't so much about that physical appearance, but there's something spiritual that dies when we are in the food. When we're in the food, we we not we lose ourselves. We lose our soul. It gets it gets eaten away. It gets darkened. It dims and it can be seen through our eyes. We think we can hide it. We hide the bags. We hide the packages. We don't eat when other people are looking. And we present ourselves. We put our nail polish on. We put our makeup on. We fix our hair. Yet we've been in the food. We think we can pass as a normal person. Yet the eyes tell the story. The eyes, the truth, cannot be hidden. It's known in our spirit and it emanates through our soul that we're in the food, that we have given our lives over to this substance that doesn't bring life. And as soon as we make a decision to turn our will and life over to the care of a power greater than ourselves, the light light uh, uh, shines forth out of us. And and it can be seen, and it can be recognized, it can be felt. And I just thank God for all of you, and I can feel the light of your love coming through, even through the phone. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Mancia. I heard Paula, and then who else? Kim. Kim, okay. Paula, and then Kim. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. Thank you for your service, Monica, too. But, you know, this is still bleak November, by the way, just so you think we haven't gone that much further. But look what happens here in this bleak November. The door opened, and he stood there, fresh skin and glowing, as was red, as was red. Wow, fresh skin and glowing. There was something about his eyes, yeah? It was Sharon clearly said. He was inexplicably different. Okay, that's it. He couldn't explain it. What had happened? Wait a minute now. You know when you're in uh, abstinence, you look different, don't you? Not that glow. Not for that freedom. There's no freedom in just abstinence. It is got to be the total package to come to that place, the spiritual awakening. There the difference. The eyes. But you know, is it not the doctor's opinion? No, this isn't Bill and Ebby, but come along. And The doctor says, following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. This is on XXXI, for those that would care to repeat, read it again. Oh, yes. There was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. Over a year later, he called to see me. I experienced a very strange sensation. Ooh, you think Bill is feeling this? I knew the man by name. Yeah, Abby, that's his name. And I recognize his features. Yeah. But their all resemblance ended. From a troubling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. 
I talked with him for some time. We will see how that goes on. But was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. What had happened in there? Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Kim, go ahead. Thanks, Monica. Inexplicably different. Inexplicably different. You know, what have we seen Bill do? Bill has gotten sober, and then he's drank. He's gotten sober, and then he's drank. So he knows sobriety. He knows sobriety, but he has not, he is never happy about being sober. And when he sees his buddy, I'm sure Eddie and him have gotten sober for a week, maybe even a month, maybe even a couple of months together, but he was inexplicably different. That is the difference between abstinence and becoming recovered. I don't know if you've been in meetings where someone is sitting next to you and they raise their hand and they're abstinent for eight years and six months and four days and three hours. And their arms so tight, you can feel the anxiety coming off of them. And then someone else can raise their hand and say, yeah, I've been abstinent for three years, and thanks by the grace of God, I've not had to pick up. And they're calm, and they're relaxed, and they're, they're, you know, their eyes are sparkling. Because when you are abstinent only, that is a miserable, miserable place to be. There is no freedom in that. There is no freedom. I was abstinent for six years. I was crazy, and I picked up. You only can do that for so long. But he was inexplicably different. So what does that mean? What does it mean when people on this line say recovered, and people in L.A. bristle at that word? They bristle at it because the alcohol is so different than the food. Let me tell you, there is no difference. I have an allergy of the body. When I pick up certain substances, my body demands I have more. That is no different than an alcoholic. Now, my substances might be a little bit more difficult to identify, but once they're identified, I'm no different. And I have an obsession of the mind, a mind that tells me, regardless of what's going on, that that food is the best idea I've had today. And that is only removed by the steps, removed by unblocking myself from my higher power. And because of that transformation, I am inexplicably different. My body looks different, absolutely, but I have a smile, I have a twinkle in my eyes, I have an ease around people. You know, I am not fighting anything or anyone, even the food. I have a sense of neutrality around the food. I am neither cocky nor I am afraid. It has been removed. And that's what he's seeing in, in, in Evie. Because when he knew when Evie used to be sober, he used to be jittery and freaking out, and, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. And how often we see that in a way. I'm not eating. Uh, if I go to bed tonight and I'm strong enough not to beat the food, it's been a good day. Well, let me tell you, that's not the miracle of OA. That's a diet. The miracle of OA today isn't that I don't have to eat. The miracle of OA today is I do not want to eat. That is the aim. That is the goal. That is why I'm inexplicably different today than I was even when I had six years of abstinence. And that is what Bill is seeing in Ebby. If that's what you want, if you want to get beyond the diet, my suggestion is get in this book, apply these steps, and you too can have a spiritual awakening sufficient to bring about recovery. And with that, I pass. 
Thank you so much, Kim. Let's move on, and Hoodie, would you please read? Good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you for, so much for your service this morning. Um, I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's all this about? I queried. He looked straight at me, simply but smilingly. He said, I've got religion. And I love this because he wasn't himself, and that's the whole point of going through these 12 steps. The 12 steps, the promise, it says, that we go having had a spiritual awakening. What's a spiritual awakening? A psychic change, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. He had transformed, and that's we cast, cast on one side all the old attitudes, ideas, and emotions, and replaced it with a whole new set, uh, a loving, a loving creator um, who is who wants what is best for me and knows what's best for me. And I'm just so grateful for this program, that um, for this relationship with my higher power in my life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone else like to comment? Carolyn. Carolyn, go ahead. I've got religion. <laughs> that, that used to kind of scare me away, too, you know. Um, I'd go and say, I want what they have. I don't know what they have. And then when I'd find out it was a spirituality, I would think, well, I got that. But then when the push came to shove and I started myself in questioning, did I really have was truly no, and it was quite clear to me because I couldn't have the spirituality if I didn't trust in my higher power. So I had to build on that power. It was just so awesome that, you know, the appearance, we wreak recovery when we work these steps and we seek out a spiritual influence on a daily basis and I know for myself if I don't seek out that spiritual base every day I can be succumbed to this disease in a nanosecond I have to work my program diligently and in doing so it incorporates working the steps every single day and allowing my spirituality to become first and foremost in my life because that, faith without works is dead, they say. And that's what If I don't have faith, whatever I do is not going to work. And if I work without faith, whatever I do is going to go by the wayside. I need the two combined together. I need faith with work. So that when I put the two together, they're in harmony. And I get that fresh flow and I have that sparkle, and my voice is very cheery, and people want to talk to me. They want to know, what is it about me that's different today? There's something different about you. I can't put my finger on it. You've changed, but I don't know what about you has changed. And then when we get involved in conversation, 
I think before the end of the conversation, they figure it out. And at that point, they can decide whether they want to continue to conversate with me on a regular basis or they want to part ways because that's not where they are. And for me, that that's what the whole bottom line was. If you know, if you show the way you live to other people and they want that, they'll be attracted to you like a magnet. But you know, in the beginning, you don't know that. It's all too new. You just don't get it. And you're scared and it kind of you want to push it away. But at the same time it brings up a lot of things, gets things stirring. And the more you try to recapture the old days, the more this keeps stirring and the more uncomfortable you're starting to feel with yourself all of a sudden. And you're starting to question what it is about you that you don't like anymore and what it is about you that you feel needs to be changed. But you don't know that these questions are there. You're just, you just have this unsettleness, this restlessness, restless, irritable, and discontent. That's the only way that describes it for me. And, you know, you want the same people that partook with you and your disease to partake again when they start refusing you're feeling uncomfortable and you're ending the relationships because now they're not doing what you're doing so it's not a safe place to be anymore. It's not safe. And you're getting crazy because the world is is changing. What's wrong with these people? Don't they know that they do these things, that this is how life is? And yet your insides, that, that little thing inside that wants to be saved, is stirring around and is very angry and upset because you're not getting it. And once the 18 inches between the head and the heart make that connection, everything gets good again. And with that, thank you, Carolyn. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Vered. Leia. Vered and then Leia. This is Vera, the recovered compulsive overeater from Jerusalem, Israel. Um, there is something different in his eyes, so that is very interesting. Um, he's sober, and, you know, I'm just thinking about compulsive overeating. For so many different times in my life, I, you know, I was dieting. And, you know, you lose weight and you look better, but what happens inside? Does it change anything with regarding being restless, irritable, or discontented? And I guess what um, what Bill sees in Abby's eyes is the serenity, is the peaceful mind. And um, all I can say is that as as we know, this disease is uh, is combined from two components: it's the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Now, I can be dieting, yet this whole crazy mind is still going on, driving me and others crazy. And I think uh, it was about um, a few weeks ago that I got a compliment from my husband saying, you know, I mean, and and he didn't know where it's coming from, and he said, you know, you became a, a pleasant person to live next to. And um, and it wasn't about losing weight or looking great. It's about a real change in 
you know, in the attitude towards things, in actually having the capability of choice, a, a bigger capability of choice in everything that happens in life. When, you know, when the obsession of only thinking about the next portion of sugar or whatever food is not there anymore, all of a sudden we can be part of life and make healthy choices. Uh, with serenity and with peaceful thanks to God. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Vered. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. He wasn't himself. Um, and that's exactly the whole point of this program is to change from what we had become to that what God intends us to be. You know, um, we have an opportunity to be transformed from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence, and that's exactly what Ebby is trying to express here. Uh, and that's exactly what is possible here. That is the message of hope here, you know, that we can come here, we can crawl our way into an OA meeting with tombstones in our eyes or get on this phone meeting, even though we've been in OA maybe for years or even decades. We come here restless, irritable, and discontent. We come here filled with fear, perhaps panic, uh, that we're continuing on this runaway train of compulsive overeating, no end in sight. We come here self-centered, selfish, and the program of recovery does something with all that. Because, and because of those conditions that roll around in our minds, and of course the obsession of the mind is the greater aspect of, that, of our disease, and because of those conditions of the mind, the restlessness, the irritability, the discontentment, the self-centeredness, that always led us back to the first bite, just like it always led Bill back to the first drink. But what if the program of recovery can change that state of mind to something entirely different? And that's why it says that he wasn't himself. Because he had changed from what he had become to that which God intended him to be. That's why we say it's a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. This, was, this is not just about mere elimination of alcohol. The big book teaches us we have a spiritual malady, and when we, when we straighten out that spiritual malady, we will straighten out mentally and physically. So it's not just sobriety that's needed. That's why he said, I've got religion. We need a new mind. <laughs> we need a new mind. We don't have just a physical problem. Yes, we have an allergy. Yeah, it's a bad problem. But we've got a problem much, 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 much worse than that. A lot of people have allergies. But they don't have to sit in a meeting at night or in a circle of people and discuss that allergy and, and not partaking in that substance. They don't have to get on the phone line every morning. We need a new mind. We need a spirit-guided mind. Because once you've accepted step one and you realize that anything that comes from your own resources, meaning your willpower and your, your goals and your philosophy and your good intentions, won't solve the problem of compulsive overeating, just like it would not solve Abby's problem and it would not solve Bill's problem. So step one, understanding that powerlessness becomes the foundation of your entire recovery. Step two is the cornerstone on that, laid on that foundation. That's why he says, I've got religion. 
Because you realize that to continue to drink or to continue to compulsively overeat means continued torture, suffering, and disaster. So if you can't rely on yourself, then your choices narrow down to either relying on some power greater than yourself or being doomed to a compulsive overeater's death or an alcoholic's death. And that's exactly what Ebby is trying to convey here across the kitchen table. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And I'd like to thank everyone who has shared today. We've come to the end of our time. We will now close with the reading from a big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And I will ask Paula to read a vision for you, please. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Rita. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.